Hello and welcome along to Wilson and Windsor's Libertadores podcast, a podcast exclusively and consistently dedicated to the grandest competition in South American club football. And this week, myself, David Windsor and Mr. Oliver Wilson, we had a good chat about all things Palmeiras because, of course, Palmeiras, the Libertadores champions after beating Santos in the final and now competing in the club world cup in Qatar and they will face Tigres on Sunday the 7th of February it is about 6 p.m London time I think I make that about 3 p.m Sao Paulo time and in Mexico maybe three hours before that so around about midday and on the pod this week well it was a good little melting pot of a pod actually because we discussed the club world cup its significance will it ever be massive we talked about Racing winning it uh, becoming the first club in South America to be world champions if you like we talked about this Palmera sides and will they keep the same 11 from the Libertadores final. We gave a little nod to Abel Ferreira and we talked about Tigres. We had a great little addition, a little WhatsApp voice note from our man Lewis, who runs a Tigres in English Twitter account. And we talked about Messi's return to Argentine football and us spying rights to all sorts of things. And, yeah, and we did. A... Windsor's lack of Mexican knowledge and blah, 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 blah. Yeah, we it did, was a good pod. We did a little of the recent past. We did a, a lot of the present, a little bit of the upcoming future. And then we got a little heavily invested in the far future as well. And the future of European managers using the Libertadores as a leapfrogging spot. We talked about Messi returning to Argentina. And yeah, the the budding future of what's going to be the sporting broadcast empire that will be Wilson and Windsor's <laughs> Libertadores. I don't know. It wouldn't be able, even be Wilson and Windsor's Libertadores podcast at that point. It'd be Wilson and Windsor's Libertadores channel or what? Mate, I, mean. I don't even think, you know, assuming this happens in about 2050, I don't even think that will exist. It'll be Wilson and Windsor's uh, Libertadores VR goggles where you just put on some glasses and we just appear as a hologram and talk about, uh, you know, for the sake dystopian of, version of, uh, of, of, of the beautiful game. For the sake of every listener, I really hope that that doesn't happen to them. <laughs> the thought- Speak for yourself, Ollie. I wouldn't mind seeing myself as a hologram. Right, ladies and <laughs> gentlemen, enjoy the pod. <laughs> A busca pela glória eterna chega em seu ápice. Maracanã, 30 de janeiro de 2021. Cruzamento na área, não acreditou, veríssimo. Vem Palmeiras, Rony, cruzamento na área, Breno! When we touched on the Club World Cup, you alluded to the fact that it means more to South American clubs because they've got more of a point to prove, right? You were saying last week that perhaps, and I was agreeing with this, that that European clubs and other clubs globally maybe just look down their nose at the Club World Cup slightly, potentially because of the strength of the European leagues, because of the the dominance of the champion dominance and importance of the Champions League, where South American clubs, they really do see this as, as such an important tournament to prove they're not better than the European size, that's unrealistic, but that they can match them on their day. I thought that was a really interesting point. And I know that you and I, that that kind of ingrained mentality about the Club World Cup from a European perspective, in contrast to the South Americans, was really laid bare when we went to Racing 
and we saw the mural that they've got of them winning what was actually wasn't called the Club World Cup then, but but back in the day in, in 67, when, bit of trivia, they beat Celtic to, to become champions of the world. How many legs were there, Oli? Uh, I'm going to say two. It's, it's not orthodox. There were three legs. Oh, okay. In that, in that, uh, in I was that about tri- to say, I'm glad you've done the research on who they beat because I forgot to look at that before we even started <laughs> this podcast. And then you throw a curveball question at me, like how many legs were in this? To- I was, ah. Yeah, no, I won't, I won't ask you to name the goal scorers. But, but so Racing became... <laughs> the first South American club that, that were kind of crowned champions of the world. And that is a big deal. But then when you go to Racing's ground and you're outside it, you really see that because they've got this beautiful preserved mural. And, you know, there's loads of fans there and they're, they're incredibly proud of that. And it's a big part of their club's history in a way that it wouldn't really be still, I think, only for European clubs. So, you know, as we see Palmeiras in the Club World Cup this year, where, of course, they'll face Tigres of Mexico in the semi-finals of the competition. I just wanted to hear your thoughts on on the clear importance that this has for Palmeiras after winning the Libertadores and getting to compete on this stage in Qatar. I think it's super important for the South American side still. I think it's also incredibly important that they play the European side in the competition as well, because as we will touch on later on, Central American sides have been involved in the Copa Libertadores, but mainly the dominance, even when they were involved, came from South American teams in that competition. So I think there's also there's an air, particularly with the international quality on show for Brazil, Argentina. We've seen Chile be a great side to watch in the Copa Americas in the last 20 years or so. Uruguay as well has had success. That South American football doesn't look at Central America and North America as really something that it needs to worry about or compare itself to. The comparison is always with the European sides. And it really came to a, a head when really the first Club World Cup that I can remember any attention was paid to. After United won the treble, they then went to Brazil and took on Vasco da Gama. And I think there were a couple of other South American sides in that competition. I think it was more of a Club World Cup as opposed to being what it is now and in the format it is now. Mm. And you saw from the fans in the stands at the Maracanã for the games that it meant so much. You know, it was the full flares choreography flags banners really intimidating games for manchester united to go to because they didn't play in the fa cup that year because of it which Which was a big deal yeah which was considered like a huge uh snubbing of the fa cup and showing that it wasn't important to the big sides and this was more important i mean hindsight you look back and you think well yeah (laughs) actually that's happened very much now and i think any team would rather play in the club world cup after winning a champions league than be involved in the early rounds of the fa cup But that, for me, showed that a competition we'd never really paid any attention to at all was so important to the the fans and the clubs down on the other side of the globe. And since then, you always see it being taken so seriously. Whereas, you know, at the moment, I don't know where I can watch these games, aside from trying to find streams online and highlights. I I haven't seen that a British broadcaster has picked up the rights yet. tucked away on the BBC but not properly advertised. And I think they just, they bought a contract for a few years and because obviously Liverpool were in it last year against Flamengo in the final. So yeah, it's tucked away in the BBC somewhere on the red button, which is, yeah. Because I mean, that must have been a late deal as well because I was looking at the sure. list of um, of broadcasters for this year's tournament a week ago, basically just after the final. Mm. And it only had the European broadcasters down as being in Germany, obviously because Bayern Munich are in the competition. And I think there was maybe France or somewhere else, some network had the rights to it but there wasn't an english broadcaster at that point listed um 
so it is something that's kind of oh if nobody else is going to have it the tv network over here if an english side isn't in it we'll we'll take it i mean last year the bbc really wanted it because liverpool were in it and it's a chance to put liverpool on tv and a full 90 minutes of football which is something the bbc doesn't get too often unless a pandemic's mm. hitting so it still isn't really revered unless you've got a real attachment to the club that is involved in it from a european side whereas the south americans seem to almost want any south american side to get one over on the europeans you feel yeah my kind of follow-up to that was, will it ever be huge? Because on the face of it, as the world increasingly becomes more globalised and we have more access to watch every league in the world and football in different parts of the world instantaneously on demand, should it should it be bigger and will it be bigger? I know there's definitely a push from certain institutions, from FIFA definitely, to, to make it really big. And you could see why it should in inverted commas, have more prestige than it does. Do you know what I mean? It's it's a really fascinating sides, club sides from all over the world playing each other in this kind of bizarre little melting pot of a tournament. And I know that um, I think the next Club World Cup is in, is it China or Japan or somewhere where they really want to make it a bit more bloated and put a lot more of a focus on it. But I just wonder whether you felt that the structure of European football and the saturation probably of European football, which is clearly light years ahead of every other sector of the globe. You know, the, the football calendar is so set in stone from a European perspective that it will never, the Club World Cup will never be as big as it could and should be because of the dominance of the Champions League and because of the travel. And the, it, it's very hard to carve out, realistically, to make it big, you'd have to carve out a month in the calendar. And that's just not going to happen. And also to get people's interest. Look, where do the biggest and best players go? Where the money is? They go to Europe. So winning the Champions League for 99% of fans on European soil is considered the toughest football competition for your club to win. So after you've won the Champions League, it's, well, am I going to be too fussed about my beloved Liverpool taking on, I don't know, Ken J- Jembuk Motors yeah, or someone sure. from South I, Korea? I guess I'm not suggesting that in terms of quality, but just can you not see a day where you've got Inter Miami, Real Madrid, Boca Juniors... Uh, you know, something like that, and and people would sit up and be like, "Oh wow, that is that's pretty unique. That that that's definitely a tournament that." Or do you think the dominance of Europe is just will always, and always is such a big word because that kind of uh, donates eternity. But like, for let's say for the next generation, it's very hard to see anything, anything chipping at that European dominance, and therefore why there would be further attention on the Club World Cup. It's so flash in the pan as well. That's the other thing. It's not a tournament that you really get invested in watching. You know, a Champions League, you go through the trials and tribulations of group stage, knockout stage, double leg affairs, going into a final on neutral ground. This is, you know, two, maybe three games. (laughs) Straight to the semi-final, you know, Bayern straight to the semi-finals. Yeah, it's there and then it's done. So even if it's going to take a long time for excitement to get built up over a tournament that lasts for potentially 180 minutes. (laughs) <laughs> it doesn't when you put it like that it doesn't feel like a tournament yeah. it just feels and like an all, odd aff- two leg affair also as we know the more you rejig tournament structures the more you i think dilute its history a little bit or it, the more it's 
the more it's difficult to create history for the competition. Do you know what I mean? And the Club World Cup has changed guises a few times. It's always changing location. Is it, it, it's strange. It is a bit odd. They haven't settled on a structure. They haven't settled on a set time in the calendar even. So, I mean, yeah, look, it, look at the Argentinian league at the moment. Yeah, and that's one of its biggest criticisms, right? Yeah. It, one minute, you know, Ollie, when we started covering the Argentine League a decade ago, there were like 30 teams in it. But and then it sh- we had a Clausura and Apertura. Yeah, Apertura, Clausura. They changed it. Now there's Copper, you know, there's different leagues and sub-leagues and, and, and it does devalue it because, I don't know, people like simple, effective things. and, and I just want a and solid like. football structure for my league Basically. in the same way Basically. I want a solid football structure for my Club World Cup. I want to know who's yeah, going to be yeah, in it. Yeah. You kind of want parity in it as well from a fan's perspective. I know because of the number of teams that are going to be in it, that makes it tough. But I'd rather see like a round robin tournament played over a month or something like that than see this awkward knockout stage where you're already telling me by the fact that the Central American and North American sides and the qualifiers from the Asian Champions League, etc., they have to play an extra game. You're already telling me that they're not as good as the South American and European sides by the seeding in it. So I'm not going to pay much attention to those sides. I might pay attention in the games that I expect the South American and the European side to, to win in the semifinals. And then, you know, if it's two sides, the South American side is a big side. This is obviously years sure. ago when I, when I wasn't as invested in South American football. But, you know, if it was a big South American side and a half-decent European side, then yeah, maybe I'd watch it. But imagine if That's Dynamo bad. Kiev had won the Champions League when they had that incredible run with like Rebroff and Shevchenko or something mm. if you had that happen again in the Champions League I don't think many people around Europe would bat an eyelid at the Club World Cup it would mm. be okay yeah fair enough if a Barca's in it with a, with a Messi or something against a Boca then maybe if a Liverpool's in it because obviously Liverpool is such a big well supported side or a Man United yeah maybe I don't even think Man City because of the lack of history potentially would garner enough interest if they won the Champions League to get people watching the Club World Cup. We'd know that maybe they'd won it because they'd come back to the Premier League with a badge on their arm. Yeah, I, I think it's all totally fair. It's going to be a tough sell over the next uh, 10 years or so to, to make it work. But I, I know there's a big push for it, so we'll see what happens. Palmeiras. The Copa Libertadores champions, of course, after beating Santos uh, in the final. Oli, they, they have played one league game since that final against Santos, drawing against Botafogo. I was actually reading Christian's blog, Christian from Anything Palmeiras, who's regular contributor to Wilson and Windsor's Libertadores podcast. And he was talking about that game against Botafogo in the league. No one really stood out enough to stake a claim to the starting eleven that started and won the Libertadores final. I know Gabriel Veron's still injured, but Gustavo Scarpa started that game against Botafogo, Felipe Melo, Breno Lopez, Lucas Lima, and he, he was just kind of hinting towards the fact that, that that no one really did enough. So I guess looking now at the eleven that played in that Libertadores final, you'd expect the same side, really. Yeah, I think maybe Sir Rafael might come back in, um, just because Rafael Vega was quite disappointing playing off Adriano, so it might go to more of a 4-3-3 as opposed to kind of a 4-5-1 that it looked like in the in the Copa Libertadores final. Mm. Uh, and that was one of the changes that we were quite surprised at. But the other one is Emperor maybe coming back in to the centre-back position alongside uh, Gustavo Gomez. Mm. But aside from that, those would be the only two changes. What I was very surprised to see, the squad lists for Palmeiras for this tournament, 
and unless I've completely missed him, but I, w- I checked and double checked. The goal scorer from the Copa Libertadores final, Breno Lopez, not in the 30-man squad. Is that what you saw? Because I know he played against Botafogo at the weekend. We'll have to check in with Christian on that. But Yeah, I, I, but looking at the squad list, uh, it's all released on the FIFA website. And and he's not there. Couldn't see Breno Lopez at all, which is like, how? Maybe he got his, maybe he got his big move, Oli, after the towering <laughs> header and the great moment. That's yeah, all you need. One, his, one big moment yeah. in South American football takes you anywhere you want on that continent, I think. So. <laughs> his last touch. I was also thinking about how much we praised Flamengo last year for their dominance, uh, you know, domestically and obviously winning the, the Copa Libertadores in the final against River. And I was going to ask you, Ollie, if Palmeiras were to win the Club World Cup, well, I think it's an easy answer. If Palmeiras were to win the Club World Cup, that is a much better season than Flamengo had. You know, if you could back up the Libertadores, and they're in the Copa de Brazil, by the way, against Gremio, which is in about a month's time, I think. Mm. But, you know, they are potentially a couple of games away from having the greatest season they've ever had. Yeah, it could be an incredible treble of a Libertadores, a Copa do Brasil, and then a Club World Cup. And it's four games, four games of football, because it's two-leg affair mm. against Gremio in mid-February. And then, yeah, these okay. semi-final and final. It's it's remarkable. I think the difference is, is that Flamengo came from so far back during the Libertadores in the domestic season to win that league title last year that it looked really impressive because they're doing it on both the domestic and international stage. We saw and were so impressed with their performances in the Copa Libertadores, whereas, you know what, that that loss to River Plate has just really rattled, I think, most people's view of this Palmeiras side because, mm-hmm. as we've said in the preview podcast, to the final and a bit to the semi-final as well, we watched... Palmeiras during the competition and saw them playing minnows and thrashing them and we got what we expected because even last year they had bags of goals in them when they wanted to and then they had the big game against River and you think great that's fantastic but then you have that big shell shock and then they're not that impressive in the final you know I think they were the better side and probably deserved it but for different Mm. reasons to what we were used to seeing from them in this tournament or in that tournament because we were used to the goal scoring all all guns blazing aside from the semi-final second leg. And what we got in the final was more of what we saw in the first leg against River in the semi-finals, which was a team happy to sit back, try and soak up, and then use space and hit on the counter-attack. And and Santos kept them at bay when they came forward. And we weren't exactly blown away by Palmeiras. So it's really easy to sleep on them. Also, maybe you haven't got quite, from our European perspective, the same sort of uh, reverence for some of the players in this Palmeiras side, whereas, you know, Felipe Luis is a big name in European football. Sure. Turns up Hafinha, succeeded to the nth degree with Bayern Munich and then turns up at Flamengo. These are, you know, names that span the globe of footballing quality. Whereas Palmeiras, aside from Luis Adriano, you know, it was guys that we'd seen last year that we enjoyed watching a second time around. But if you're a casual European viewer or a casual world football fan in general, you're not going to look at this no. Palmeiras side and go, oh, no, no, no. look. No, 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 you really wouldn't. I think that's, that's totally fair. Um, I, I, yeah, I think if you, if you don't follow South American football, there'd be no one really in this Palmeiras side that, that would really stand out. Mm. And that's not to take anything away from their achievement in the Libertadores, of course. Um, I, I think I WhatsApped you or, or telegrammed you, Oli, after um, the last podcast and said, I don't think we give enough credit to Abel Ferreira 
you know, we talk so much about a lot of the other bosses in South America. And we maybe just kind of glossed over Abel Ferreira's influence at Palmeiras. You know, he only came in late towards the end of 2020. Comes in, bang, wins the biggest trophy on the continent <laughs> within, what, like two months? You know, it's quite a crazy situation. And I was, um, you know, covering some of the bits I do for the Libertadores, watching his press conference after the final, Ollie. Mm. And one thing he just said was there was just a real gratitude, I think, to the club where he said, look, Palmeiras have taken a chance on me. I'm young. He's 42. He's just saying, I'm young. I don't have any trophies in the bank as a manager and not many as a player, but as a manager, I have no real experience in terms of success at huge football clubs. And he was just saying, look, thanks, you know, thank you to the Palmeiras hierarchy for giving me this chance to do this. And hopefully I've repaid them. And thank you to all the players as well for sticking by me. And I thought, wow, there's, there's some strong character traits that, you know, I'm not going to say how good he is as a coach because I don't know. I've only seen his Palmeiras sides over the last, what, two and a bit months. So I couldn't give you a comprehensive you analysis. Weren't, you weren't following him heavily at Braga then, for instance, or anything like that. <laughs> slit, slit through the net, that one. Was awesome. <laughs> uh, but, you know, what, what I've seen from him, yeah, sure, we can point towards the second leg against River and they didn't excel in the final. But nonetheless, uh, Ollie, I mean, he's, lift, he's lifted the biggest trophy of them all. This, though, is, is a different test, clearly. It's a huge test for him. Um, I do wonder if, if, if they can get past Tigres in the semi-final and that's not a foregone conclusion by any extent but if they can get past Tigres in the semi-final and play Bayern Munich in the final if his European football knowledge comes into great benefit at that point I think it did for Flamengo last year against Mm -hmm. Liverpool Liverpool didn't have an easy ride against a very good Flamengo side and you if you were comparing those two teams on paper you'd still look at it any football fan would look at it and go well Liverpool have got a better squad without a doubt so I do think Jorge Jesus was useful with his European football knowledge in cultivating a system that was able to cause some problems for Liverpool. And that may well be the case again. But this seems like more of a benchmark now for Abel Ferreira to me. Because, and and not to keep going on about the semi-finals, but we don't know exactly what we're getting because we've seen the good, the bad and the ugly from Palmeiras in the Libertadores during his time as manager. And it's been in such a short burst. It's It's... very impressive to come in and have the impact and keep a steady ship, keep them looking as good as they did in the early part of the group stages when the Libertadores restarted again and go from you know early November to January and win a tournament like that. It's a phenomenal job, but it hasn't been done with an air of we know exactly who Palmeiras are. And there are a lot of clubs in the Libertadores, I think, this year who we could say, you know, levy that against. We don't really know who River Plate are. We kind of, we, mm. we definitely have more of an indication with River Plate, this River Plate, than a lot of the other sides. But with Boca, do we know who they are? We kind of do. They're the most frustrating side. With Santos, we didn't really know who they were until they kind of came out of their shell in the latter part of that competition. But Palmeiras is the one that I think has the most unknown about them because they've just been all over the spectrum with it. So now to take on two big sides, one from Mexico and potentially one from Germany, this will be a really good indication of, with a bit more perhaps of of planning time and a bit more, you know, they've had the intensity of the Libertadores and then they've had a couple of weeks to, or a week and a half, just like settle down. This is the next thing up. Let's go again and refocus. And I wonder if this will be a really good defining moment for Abel Ferreira as Palmeiras boss. The other thing is, do you think he sticks around, though? 
Because uh, we saw Jorge Jesus depart pretty quickly. Seconds, yeah. Jorge Jesus was only there for six months, wins the yeah. Libertadores and then splits. I mean... It if, doesn't feel... It feels like a continent that if you can grab a few trophies and, and leave, unless your name's Marcelo Gachado, that's the right thing to do. <laughs> and, you know, he, he might look at it and think, look, he's won the Libertadores. Club World Cup's... It's, you know, he's certainly not expected to win that. If he can win the Copa de Brazil and be like, I've done, you know, I've done the double. Come on, guys. And, and yeah, someone higher up the table in Portugal or mid table La Liga side offers him a gig, then there may be, or he might be loving life in Sao Paulo and, you know, enjoying enjoying everything there. So it's, it's impossible you to You would say. hope, just to expand on that, that that doesn't become a trend of it's like a smash and grab for middle for order European coaches. European in, coaches. Yeah, interesting, interesting. Yeah, we come in, all right, ooh, you're struggling a bit domestically, but you're in the Libertadores knockout stages. I'll sort you out, don't worry. And then, all right, cheers, thanks very much. My reputation's bumped up a bit. I can get a job back in Europe. I, f- I feel more yeah. comfortable in Europe or something. You would really hope it doesn't become like that. But yeah, I do think it's a great test for for Abel Ferreira this these two games. So they play Tigres of Mexico in the semi-finals of uh, of the competition. Should we should we start before we talk about Tigres and feign? Uh, knowledge of Tigre. Should we start by hearing from a man who really does know? And that is old man Lewis, who runs the uh, Tigres in English Twitter account. And yeah, I had a good chat with him and, and he offered his thoughts on, on the game and the Club World Cup. Hi, David and Oliver. Uh, we're happy to be moving forward after a tough match against Olsen. Uh, happy to be facing Palmeiras, a team with a lot of history in the semifinals. Uh, this is our first Club World Cup, so it's important for us to make a really good impression on the international stage. And why not maybe even make a final, which would be unprecedented for a Liga MX team. I've been keeping a close watch on Palmeiras throughout the Libertadores, and I know they have a lot of skilled players. It's a squad that has a ton of depth. Um, players like Menino, like Luis Adriano, Vega, Honey, um, and a really solid back line. So I think Tigres will have a, a tough time breaking through. Uh, the midfielders are very evenly matched. I think they'll neutralize each other, and it'll be a low-scoring game. Uh, Tigres is definitely not scared to play against South American teams. We, we do have some experience facing uh, South American teams having played the 2015 Libertadores and reaching the final. So I think it's an exciting game. I think it's a very evenly matched game. I see Tigres advancing 1-0 and uh, facing Byron in the final. Thanks so much to uh, Lewis for contributing to the podcast. Interesting thoughts, Ollie. It was actually funny because I messaged Lewis earlier in the week and I said, oh, mate, can you give us a audio note um, ahead of your semi-final against Palmeiras? And he straight back and said, hey, one game at a time, yeah? Because, of course, they hadn't beaten yet the <laughs> South Koreans Ulsan Hyundai. And, uh, and he's absolutely correct. Maybe that's my kind of arrogance of thinking our oh, Mexican club must be better than, than South Korea club, South Korean club. And of course they, they did squeeze through, but, but Lewis said it was a little bit tighter than they'd hoped for. I like the lack of fear there, Ollie. It sometimes goes missing maybe that Mexican clubs have had spells of being invited into the Copa Libertadores and playing in the Copa Libertadores. And of course, as Lewis said, Tigres losing to River in the 2015 final. 
and I think they played Inter of Brazil along the way in that. So they've got experience playing against Brazilian clubs and also Mexican clubs in general. Just looking looking down the list of their performances in the Libertadores and they've never won it. But Guadalajara were runner-up in 2010, Cruz Azul in 2001. So it certainly leads on to a wider point of extended participation in the Copa Libertadores for potentially Mexican clubs and even MLS clubs. But just for the here and now, yeah, it's good to see that, that Lewis wasn't afraid and, you know, that he played Brazilian clubs before and he sounded confident. I think when you go into this sort of tournament and, I mean, it was a very close game watching the highlights between uh, Ulsan Hyundai and, and Tigres. Obviously, you understand perhaps why he was a bit like, hey, one game at a time. But I think when you go into this sort of tournament, because it's such a short tournament, you haven't, Palmeiras won't have had a chance to settle in, get themselves feeling comfortable or anything like that. So perhaps you would give Tigres having an earlier game in the competition. They feel a little match sharper. They feel a little more home in the competition. Or do you look at it as, well, Palmeiras is just going to come in with confidence. They've got the confidence of already having a bye into the semifinals. So in theory, they should, there's a, there's a lot of kind of unknowns with such a short, sharp stab at trying to cultivate an enthralling football tournament with teams from all across the globe, particularly as, <laughs> You know, it's in Qatar, which is kind of a nice meeting point to some extent. You know, Mexico to Qatar is probably shorter, but when you're going on a... Quite a long way away. <laughs> but, but compared to um, Sao Paulo and Qatar... Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a journey, yeah. But you're also... It, there's a big difference in time, I guess. But at the same time, if you're going on a seven-hour and 11-hour uh, flight, they kind of all just feel the same once you go past like Probably. the seven, eight hour yeah. mark anyway. So it's fairly neutral ground in terms of things like jet lag. And I'm sure Palmeiras will, of course, like all good football teams and sports teams will have that covered. But yeah, I, I think Tigres will fancy themselves to have a chance, particularly as well. If they've watched the Copa Libertadores final, they'll know that this Palmeiras side can struggle. You know, they've got names in their side. They've got a side littered with potential quality. But getting it to pull together in the last two big games that they've played in the Libertadores, it just hasn't at all. So, And you've got arguably the best striker to ever play in Mexican football for Tigres. Chikorita. Ah, Gignac. Andre Pierre Gignac. <laughs> okay. Who has, just... has been named by some journalists as perhaps one of the best strikers to ever play in Liga MX. They consider him because of his power and quality and he's got great experience from French football had a long Ooh. long time at Marseille I know I think it's a bold statement as well I'm not saying that I believe well I mean it, listen my Mexican, I'm not going to fame Mexican football knowledge so I need to watch <laughs> a few <laughs> I need to chat back through a few videos and they'll face in the fight the winner of Palmeiras and, and Tigres will face Al Ali and Bayern and bar a disaster for the Bavarians that'll be Bayern Munich and yeah, it's one of those games, Ollie, where we'll preview it if and when they do get to the final. There is also a third and fourth place playoff. So no matter what happens, Palmeiras will play another game. But uh, yeah, Bayern Palmeiras final would be fascinating. It's a little uh, disappointing. I noticed that Tigres had in their squad previously Nicolas Lopez, the former oh, yeah. Inter, international player, the Uruguayan who could have had so much potential and they just kept using him off the bench rather than using his pace from the word go last year in the Copa Libertadores. And it was something that I think we both touched on on the podcast, that it was kind of a wasted asset for Internacional. He's been playing up in Tigres Grace. But again, he's not in the squad either. Now, I don't know if he's made a, another, you know, 
these players tend to bounce around South American and Central American football quite a lot. And if there's been a quick split somewhere, but he's not going out to the Club World Cup. And that's that's a big, big loss, in my opinion. That's somebody who has a knowledge of South American football that would be an asset too, particularly Brazilian football. Juniac's 35 years of age now. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. I was wondering how he's still still hanging out. Also, uh, Guido Pizarro is the club yeah. captain of Tigres, former Sevilla player, if uh, anybody remembers him. Yeah, yeah, he must be pushing on. And he's only 30. So he, he will be the anchor you in the what, Ollie, midfield. He's sort of exposing my lack of knowledge of Mexican football. It's something that in... I don't know, I couldn't say this across all of Europe, but in the UK, you cannot watch Mexican football. Like, when you grow up, you, you have an idea of Boca and River, and you, uh, you have this idea of South American football, and you know there's this weight of history there, even if you know nothing about it. Honestly, it is one league that really, really doesn't... I think you could even watch, like, a, a lot of Australian football on some UK outlets, but you BT cannot Sports watch Mexico. show it, yeah. Yeah, okay. But Mexican football, throughout my life anyway, I cannot ever remember it being on TV in Britain. You? It is only when we've covered it for yeah. the betting websites. And that's the only that. place where I would know you could watch it. It's a blind spot, isn't it? But similarly, uh, you know, it, I only kind of got tuned into Fanatis, the online streaming service, when we were kind of just before going out to South America. Mm. You know, it's not a service that's very well known. And if you didn't know about that, you wouldn't have a clue where to watch Argentinian football unless it was on that's one true. of the betting s- services or something like that. That's true. And I, I know there used to be a World Feed production in the UK of the kind of three biggest games in Argentina each weekend. But that ended up moving elsewhere. And I think it's probably been lost in translation somewhere as well in mm. the paperwork. And until we buy the fabled Argentinian Superliga radio rights, it's, uh, you know, it's all up in the air in terms of English language feed on that. Which, by the way, about a year and a half ago in a steakhouse somewhere <laughs> in the very centre of Buenos Aires after a bottle of red wine, me and Ollie Wilson basically shook hands on purchasing <laughs> the English language radio rights for the Copa Libertadores. We don't even know if they exist, how they exist where they exist but we it was a done deal yeah, I, we walked out, I walked out of that steakhouse <laughs> genuinely convinced that my life was set it's fine I'm just going to buy the rights to the, the English language rights to the Argentine and it was all based do you remember it was all based on Messi going back to Newell's yeah which and we were like, still could happen it it should happen it really should. No one's asking Messi to go there for four years. He's got, I know his home is Barcelona. He's got you know, his family there. But he should go for a... It, it, you know, if Newell's can get out of the group stages in a Libertadores, for example, mm. like how amazing would that be if Messi just went for a, last from that mid-July when they played the last 16s and he was like, look, I'll stay with you mid-July till you get knocked out there, the Libertadores. I mean, and we then, have wildly uh, gone off on a different <laughs> tangent there. Say- but, on, but honestly, that was a hilarious moment, Ollie and I, um, yeah, shaking hands on... As you do. After, Messi had come back into that tournament a, and Emelec would kick the living crap out of him in the first knockout stage and Messi would be like, I'm not playing this anymore. And he'd have an Adebayor and get himself sent off and then he'd never be seen again. That's that's how <laughs> I, it would go. I, I actually think if he played there... It, I mean, listen, the Brazilian clubs would take no prisoners, I think. But I'd, like certainly not, I don't think he'd get kicked around more than any other player in Argentina. I don't think he would because there's just that... You know, you can't be someone that does Messi's ankle or something What for the four months that he's on the continent. So, it, I mean, it'd be fascinating. I think um, Messi doesn't owe anything to anyone in the beautiful game, Molly, but it would be awesome. That'd be the way to just, see off the... Yeah, see off. It would be... No one's asking for a lot, but just, what, three or four months? If Newell's could just get back in the Libertadores, then, yeah. Well, then we're laughing, mate. 
Then we'll have the radio rights and <laughs> Wilson and Windsor's Libertadores podcast will be going more than just global. Big thanks for listening to the Wilson and Windsor Libertadores podcast once again. Remember to get onto anchor.fm, our host, and iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and all good other podcasting outlets to like and subscribe and follow the show so you're ready and in time for the start of the new Libertadores 2021 competition, which is only a few weeks away. Of course, you can follow us on Twitter as well. At David T. Windsor is where the social media beaver that is David T. Windsor uh, can be found on Twitter. Myself, O underscore J underscore Wilson. That's O underscore J underscore Wilson. A big thanks to Luis as well for joining us on the podcast this week. Remember, you can find his work at, at Tigres underscore English. That's at Tigres underscore English. And you can fire us an email as well with your Copa Libertadores questions to willwinpodcast at gmail.com. That's willwinpodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, enjoy the Club World Cup if you can get excited for it. And we'll be back looking ahead to potentially the final or possibly the third place playoff depending on how Palmeiras do in their semi-final. Take care.